for Catechism Series, paragraphs 850 to 900. Thank you all for joining us, who are joining us now live and way off into the future, five years from now. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Um, and Father, as always, when we start with a prayer. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for the continual gift of the Holy Roman Catholic Church, which is one holy Catholic and apostolic. We thank you for the opportunity today to get to meditate upon her as we study these paragraphs of the Catechism. Please help us to strive to grow in holiness, to live the fullness of the treasure that is our faith, to know your love as we do so, and to be able to play our part within the church, whether as part of the hierarchy or part of the laity, to proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is really and truly risen from the dead. And we ask this through the intercession of our Blessed Mother Mary, Mother of the Church, as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. Saint Joseph. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So it is currently August. It is of August 20, 25th. 25th of precise. 2022. Yeah. And last time we did this, it was the end of July of yeah. 2022. And there's a big difference between the end of July and the end of August. Yes, there is. And that is that the school year has started yet again. And you know, it's funny because, you know, I think I've just come to the realization it's not a slow time of year. No. And especially, I think, as we transition back to normal post-COVID, I just feel like this summer was like getting caught up on a lot of things that just hadn't happened mm -hmm. in a couple of years and just all sorts of things going on. And you may remember last time we had uh, good old Robbie Bauman with us. I hope we get back. That mm -hmm. guy is a delight. I really enjoyed Robbie. And uh, excited for God willing one day to be able to call my brother priest here in the diocese. Um, but that week, if I'm not mistaken, that was Thursday of Totus Tuus week, was it not? I mean, we're, I, I think, think so. I think we're yes. in the midst of, and Totus Tuus has its own challenges mm -hmm. and craziness. And, uh, but yeah, we've got a week under our belt here in the school. And I'm actually really kind of happy that the school year is back in session because I feel like we have more of a normal routine when we're in the school year. Still busy. We're active. Uh, I got together with Father Rossi on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. He said, he goes, he told me that he has a new phrase when people ask how things are going. He says, wild and wonderful, which I really like. Nice. Which, if I'm not mistaken, is one of the, uh, the like, catchphrases of West Virginia. It's either wild and wonderful when you pull into that state that it says under the sign or almost heaven. Mm. And I think that's another good, good phrase. How are things going, Father? Almost heaven, you know. Almost. But, you know, but I mean, they, and it's so much better than just, oh, I'm busy. Yeah, we're all busy. It's all, you know, but it's good busy. We got a lot going on, but, you know, we had our second school mass today. Kids are doing great. Our teachers are doing wonderfully. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm happy to see the kids back in the hallways. And it's active. There's a lot going on, but it's good stuff. Yeah. It's been awesome. I don't think my job really has changed a whole lot. I've been, doing a, IT lot, stuff. been doing a lot of <laughs> IT stuff, a lot of Chromebook things. And, clever, and all of these fun terms that nobody probably really cares about. Um, but yeah, it's been moving right along, and I, I agree that once you kind of get into that routine, and especially as a, a parent, mm -hmm. I mean, we homeschool our kids, so there's really no difference in the summer. 
Sure. But I can only imagine if, you know, I was a working parent and had the entire summer, you know, with the kids home and trying to figure out what to do with my kids for the summer. And then you go back into, okay, we're doing this for another 185 days back yeah. in the school year. That consistency is really nice. Yeah. And just there's something about having a good schedule, mm -hmm. you know, just day in, day out. And um, yeah, happy to be back at it. Now, granted, part of why things are extra just uh, scattered for that last month. My sister was down with her mm -hmm. wonderful six children, and I love getting to spend time with them. And I'm always a little melancholic when they head out and go back. Um, and I do miss them, but for their sake, too, I'm glad they're back in school. They actually started the same day our kids did mm -hmm. at uh, beautiful St. Vincent de Paul in uh, Peoria, Illinois, which is where my siblings and I went. Nice. So it's a nice second generation there at the school. So mm -hmm. good stuff all across the board. I'm trying to think there's anything else really exciting going on. We have 50 hours adoration coming up next week. 50 hours great, adoration. Um, which is just, it's a big extension from kind of like our normal uh, week. You know, it's Wednesday night, but we're going to go all the way to Saturday morning. We had the Eucharistic Congress in between That's the true. last one that we did and now. So that was a great event and very yeah. exciting and hope people were able to attend. It was great to get back at that. And uh, I'll just say, um, I'm happy that we have our Eucharistic Congress banner out. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to stay out because it's beautiful. And uh, so it's just going to sit back there by my confessional. The more I look at it, the more I like it. Me too. I'm the same way. And it's like, okay, that doesn't have to go back in a closet. Let's just leave it out and we'll carry it in procession at least once a year. Maybe we'll have a Eucharistic procession and put it in there too. You know what we should do? We should actually maybe try to hang it. What if we hung Ooh. it like on the choir loft wall directly above the center door or something like that? That's a great idea. I mean, well, I was I thinking, really like that a lot. I always pick on churches that have like the banners, you yeah, know, like the 80s and 90s really banner culture for churches. Yeah. But this is very distinct and unique compared to most And it's banners. us. It is our place. Ooh, that's a really good idea. Or at least someplace. But I think yeah, that yeah. wall, I think it's tall enough from the doors mm -hmm. up to the top of the loft where it would fit. It's a good idea. Um, and it's kind of, that's kind of a blank wall. Yeah. And so either there or the opposite, like facing the St. Joseph statue. That's a blank space, mm. too. Like, you know how we have the old crucifix on the Mary I don't know side. if it would be big enough to fill that space, That's though. That's true. Because it's got to be something pretty big. I don't know. I think I it's like a good, it's a good I idea. like where it is, but I think yeah. the stand, it it's actually a little bit in the walkway. Yeah. So if we can find, you know, we'll store the stand, store the staff, but if we can find some place to hang it, I think that would be a good idea. And we won't next year go, where is the banner? Oh, it's right there. Jim, yeah. can you take it down for us? Because you got to remember, two years taking off from the Eucharistic Congress. So this year coming back, it's like, ah, so we didn't have a bus this year. Although I heard, I don't think there were many buses from the diocese this year in general. But um, yeah, it was kind of hard to find the banner. So we had a little bit of a banner snafu. But you know what? It was there for the Mass. So that was mm -hmm. great. And uh, and now it's just going to be out all the time. And yeah, now we're going to hang it up someplace. There you go. And Michael did a lot of hard work at the Eucharistic Congress, uh, working with uh, Chris Beal, who's kind of like the big director these days. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah, that the great. Sager Heart team was very strong at the yeah, Congress, it was great. with Chris and I leading the charge, which yep. was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. It's good stuff. And, and it was so good to see so many people there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I'm trying to, what else has happened in, this, in the last month? Um, we have some cool stuff on the horizon. Uh, there is a men's conference at St. Therese mm -hmm. on the 17th. I get to be the keynote, which I'm pretty excited about that. Um, my dear friend, Sister Joseph Andrew uh, Bogdanowitz from the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, is coming here for a parish mission on the 25th, 26th, 27th. Uh, that'll be great, so put that on your calendars. Um, what other big events do you have going on? 
You're leaving us like five times in the next year? That's in October. Five, <laughs> it's two times. Priest Retreat, Convocation, oh, Holy Land, retreat. Fatima, yeah. and I'm sure that there's something else in there. To be fair, the Convocation is basically my day off schedule. Okay. I just don't get my day off next week. Um, but yeah, Priest Retreat's first week of October, and then mid-October I go to Fatima, and then I'm going to Holy Land in February. So Once again, it's like making up. So if you want anything from, from done around COVID. here, don't call him because he's not going to be here. I guess you got to call me. Yeah, there you have it. I look forward to my bonus when you come in. No, <laughs> That's good. Luckily, I've got those weekends covered already. So, hooray. Weekdays, I'm not sure yet. Anyways, nice. good stuff. All right. Well, diving into the Catechism of the Catholic Church, a little recap as we normally do. So, we are still moving through the Apostles' Creed, kind of the first main section of the Catechism. We are in the section, I believe, in the Holy Catholic Church. This Actually, it's a fairly long section on, you know, mm -hmm. on this point of the catechism. We've actually gone through two paragraphs, so like subsections, if you will, up to this point. Uh, Church in God's plan was kind of paragraph one, or kind of the section one. Uh, then people of God or the body of Christ. And now we are in the middle of kind of the third section, where it talks about one holy Catholic and apostolic. And actually, we've already done, we're halfway through... Catholic, we'll finish apostolic, and then we go into Christ's faithful, talking about the different vocations, and we'll just end basically with talking about the laity. We'll probably talk about the laity next time. Yeah. Um, I hope we get a little bit of that, because that last paragraph's really good, too. So there's a little bit of the roadmap for us today, but I actually really like where we dive into right off the bat today. We get to talk about mission, mm -hmm. right? And basically, to start this off, right, Catholic, as a reminder, means universal. So when we're talking about Catholic as universal, that means everyone, all time, all ages, everywhere should be welcomed into the Catholic Church. Christ died on the cross for everyone, all times, and so he made his church for everyone at all times. However, due to just human limitations and the way communication travels and the way time and space work, not everyone came to revelation of Christ simultaneously. Not everyone necessarily even understands or believes in Christ today. And so we have an obligation to help make that universality of the church become a reality by going out on mission. And this was the last command, really the last spoken words of Christ to us, right, before he ascended into heaven. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So if we take that command seriously, as we should, as we should any words that Christ speaks, we need to go out and proclaim the gospel to all nations. Yeah. And to make sure, too, that we are disciples ourselves. I mean, that we get to know our Lord, that, you know, it's a, um, Bishop Jugas's motto is Caritas Christi Urgent Nos. And I think one of the paragraphs referenced that today. Um, the love of Christ impels us. Mm -hmm. You know, that we know that you know, he loves us, and it's his, you know, all-encompassing love that, that is like the driving force that keeps us going. And, you know, when you think about that love, what, you know, it's, it's calling us to become saints. It's calling us to, you know, live by the supernatural grace that he is giving us. You know, that we're, uh, this life isn't just about, I, I've seen this like a quote from Pope Benedict. I've seen it a lot of people like the bottom of their email signatures. Like, you were not made for comfort. 
you were made for greatness. Mm, that's what, a good one. Yeah, I really like that. And like, what does that greatness mean? It means become a saint, to be Christ-like um, within the very vocation that he has given you. And so we got to realize that mission for ourselves and then go out and help share that with other people. Um, and I think the more we're convinced of that in our own lives, the more ready and willing we are to like get out there and share with other people. Yeah, and that purpose is the most important thing, right? Yeah. Why are we going out to mission? To save souls, yeah. right? Just as Christ came, he is the example of the mission that we are supposed to undertake. Yeah. Um, it says the line in paragraph 651. 851. Um, Excuse me. Yes, 851. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth, Mm -hmm. right? Because salvation is found within truth, which also is Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be going out to save souls and proclaim the truth. And by the way, that line, the love of Christ urges us on, it's right there. Literally the the line before I I read. Which, by the way, if I'm not mistaken, the origin of that as his motto he had just prayed daytime prayer the day that he got the call from the nuncio, and hmm. that was the reading. He's like, oh, this is a great motto. Nice. And that's where it came from. And that, I, I love that. It's like, I mean, our wonderful bishop, he is not the type, I think, sitting around thinking, if I were named a bishop, what would my motto? I think it's just like, well, providentially, here it is. The love of Christ impels us. It's really good. And I mean, yeah, it sort of sums it all up, doesn't it? I mean, that's, yeah. that's what, what keeps us going. The other thing I'd say, too, like I think sometimes, and I know this is a little bit tangential and we're only one paragraph in, but, you know, you talk about like, like God wills the salvation of all, you know, the knowledge of the truth. He wants all this to come to salvation. Remember, like that's not just like some sort of like a futuristic off in the distance goal. One, you know, I love Dr. Larry Chapp, right? And one of the things, he quoted a professor, like someone said, like, could you define the faith for me? And he said, yeah, come out of hell. It's like, you know, and, and, and the truth of the matter is, like, to follow Christ is to come out of hell now. Like, I think sometimes we get into this mindset of, oh, if you do this, you're going to go to hell. It doesn't just mean eternal damnation. It's like to sin and to sin grievously, you know, to commit a mortal sin is to begin to experience hell here and now. I mean, it brings about chaos, destruction, disorder, you know, all sorts of problems. Sin does not offer what it promises. And so... You know, the salvation of the church, I think sometimes, like, we sort of allow for salvation to, like, get the same, like, marketing words that the wider world gives it. Like, come on, you got to come in here so you can be saved. That's not just someday. The saints are happy. The, you know, the, the people who turn their back on God and commit mortal sin are not. And I think we've probably brought this up in some of the other shows. It's like, just look at, at the reaction to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. I mean, the way, like, just the wailing and gnashing of teeth that is happening out there, it's sort of like the description that our Lord gives of the people that are outside of the gates, right? That are outside when the Master comes and locks the doors. It's this rage. And the thing is, we have the peace that Christ gives us on offer. It's on offer right now. I got to hear confessions last night for about two hours, and Father Balky was in the other confessional. There's a lot of, like, peace and healing and restoration going on as that happens, they get to come out of hell right now. And it's like salvation's on offer at the moment. It's not even just something off in the future. So come on into it. It's so great. And that, I think, really is the heart of mission and what this this section's trying to get at is that you don't have to go to some foreign country or a third world country to go on a mission. 
If we're trying to help people understand salvation in the truth of Jesus Christ, well, you could go out on mission down here on Jake Alexander, yeah. right? You can go on mission when you go to your office mm -hmm. and you invite somebody to church or somebody who has been away from the church for a while. Um, my new neighbors, um, not my brother and sister-in-law who are moving across the street from me, they're, they're totally fine. Yeah. My other new neighbors who've been there for about six months, both happen to be fallen away Catholics. Both have happen to need annulments, and they kind of left the church because of those reasons. I invited them back. I need to follow up with them at some point soon, maybe in another month or so. Um, but that is going out on mission. Yeah. And that's trying to bring people back to their Lord and Savior and ours, Jesus Christ, and to the truth, which ultimately leads to salvation. Absolutely it does. And I mean, that's you can't offer them anything better. I mean, it's like what we have is incredible and that's and that is in no way said in like a triumphalistic arrogant sort of way. it's like no no no. we have this awesome gift and we want you to have it too mm -hmm. because i mean really there is no better gift than our faith and what i really like kind of moving ahead a little bit more to 854 kind of talks about what mission looks like and how to endeavor in this mission and there was a couple things that i underlined here um, kind of in the middle of it it talks about how Missionary endeavor requires patience. patience. And I love that so much. Yeah. And then kind of what it breaks down is essentially this like step-by-step -step process of these of how to go about on mission and bring people back to the fold. Mm -hmm. And I had to write next to it, this sounds a lot like Sherry Waddell's Five Thresholds of Conversion, yeah. right? That this is not something that just happens overnight. Think about so many of our great saints who were missionaries going out actually two foreign countries, yeah. and they never saw the fruits of their labor, yeah. right? They were patient even to death, even to a martyr's death sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they did not see the fruit of that mission. But then the next person that comes around, all of a sudden the soil is so fertile and it starts sprouting thousandfold. And so we need to grow in humility um, and patience and not be worried about always seeing the fruit. Also, that kind of goes back to the bad farmer in the Gospels, right? Yeah. Throwing the seed out and not always being worried about the fruit bearing because that's not our job. We're just supposed to share. Absolutely. And remember, too, like everybody, it's the incredible thing about, you know, like the enculturation. It sort of talks about, but when you think about it, it's like even the enculturation of the various people within a parish, right? I mean, like, okay, you got a priest, you got a director of operations, you got a parishioner who comes to daily mass. You got some parishioners who come just on Sunday. You got some, you know, some people that, that are very active in their work. You got some people that are homebound. You got all these different folks have, have a different way of like, you know, giving experiences and wonderful ways of them loving the gospel. But as each of us does that and plays our part, that helps to keep, you know, throwing that seed. And how I just I love this about our faith, you know, that our Lord wants each of us, like, you know, as he lives in us by our baptism. Uh, you know, Christ living in me, priest, prophet, and king, to go out there and proclaim the good news. And he uses the gifts and talents he's given you, the gifts and talents he's given me. We're very different people. We're friends. But it's like, you know, but we have different ways of approaching things and, you know, and talking to people. And it's like you just like have the confidence and the courage and the love to be able to go out there and share it, even if you're not Michael Becker or Father John Eckert. It doesn't matter. Like, just be faithful and share the gifts that you have. It's, it's, it's awesome. And now one more piece of advice, and this actually goes along with paragraphs 855 and 856. 
when we go out on mission and we share, we got to do it with love, respect, and charity and meet people where they're at. Mm -hmm. So I was listening to a Pints with Aquinas episode last night. It was an interview of Matt Frad with Trent Horn. And they're good friends. So 90% of the conversation really had nothing to do with, you know, hardly even the faith. They were talking about uh, different types of uh, boxing and different things. And they were talking about movies. And, but near the middle of the conversation, when I had to pause for the night, they were talking about evangelizing via, and going into the mission field of basically social media. And like, is there actually any soil to be had in social media? Wow. And is there any way to do this? And Trent Horn actually has a pretty decent presence. And he says the number one thing that he does is he will literally search like becoming Catholic. I think in Twitter, he normally does this. Or like converting to Catholicism. And anyone that he finds that shares something like, hey, I'm kind of getting sick and tired of my way of life and Maybe the Catholic Church has something to share or, you know, they might say atheism just, I don't know if this is something I want to hold on to anymore. He private messages them and then says, hey, I'm going to send you a free book. Mm. One of his own books. Sure. He just says, here, I hope this is helpful. And so I just think that's beautiful yeah. because it's just so simple. Mm -hmm. Just, hey, I'm here. I'd love to chat if you want to ask any questions, you know, fairly well-known figure. I have books that might be helpful. Let me know. I'd love to send you one. And the dialogue is open, yeah, right? But it's not in a public mm -hmm. atmosphere. He takes that, does the private message, and goes one-on-one. -on -one. And that is so important, whether it's on social media or not, to remember we're not trying to fear people into the Catholic Church. We're not trying to condemn anyone. We're not trying to point fingers. We're not trying to make the church hostile or make it appear like certain people aren't welcome because everyone is. But we're trying to stand on the rock that is the church, the strong foundation, and say, we are here to help and to love you and to serve you. Come and walk with us. Yeah. And sometimes the walk doesn't always look like we want to, it to look like, especially early on, right? There's some give and some take. Um, but ultimately, we need to open that door with love, with patience and charity, and find those ways that we can start that dialogue in the best way possible. Absolutely. No, that's, that's beautiful. And I think it goes right down to the fact that we're talking about like coming into like the fullness of reality, too. And I think the, the trouble with a lot of the social media is like you kind of get away from actual reality. It's mm -hmm. like there's this, there's this removal. It's almost like some people just, you know, like, it's almost like they have different personas online and some of them just the vitriol and all that. And that's where, yeah, that one-on-one -on -one contact, which, I mean, the way that he's doing it, it's basically like taking it to the level of email as opposed to, which is awesome. As opposed to a Twitter comment or a Facebook yeah. comment. Which, okay, yeah, the, the quick comment that's going to go out to everybody, just like, okay, I wonder how many people the random billboards along the highway convert. If people are like, Jesus saves. I wonder you're that right. too. You like, okay, I mean? yeah. how much money are they spending? And sure, yeah. you're going to say one saved soul in that billboard is worth it. Okay, but let's just talk a little bit of business. What's the return on investment here, yeah, right? it's probably not great. How, how many phone calls do you actually get when you, when you say, dial 1-800-LOVE-JESUS or whatever yeah. it is? Yeah, and at least that, okay, if there's a phone number, it gives you the opportunity to maybe have a one-on-one -on -one Maybe. Day. But that's the thing, I think with this, and you, you think about the way that our Lord is, and with the mission... It's like he's sending us all out one by one to encounter people one by one, you know, and, and, and 
obviously there's a lot of different ways of coming at this. I mean, when I give a homily, I'm giving it to a wide berth of people. Um, and some of them may be there for the first time, but I guess some of it is just like strengthening folks, you know, as they come to mass. But, but when they walk out, then you do have a small one-on-one -on -one encounter. Yeah, that's true. Where they're able to kind of follow up and have that conversation, yeah. or if they want to come and talk to you about anything afterwards. That's so true. yeah, I think the, the blast is there, but the nice thing about the homily is that the personal relationship, you've already founded that for the most, of the most of the people. So when you do give it to a large swath, you still have a personal relationship almost with everyone there. It's a good point. And there's the opportunity too, because when you think about like the conversion point, you get to confession and it's, it's a one-on-one -on -one yeah. setup. And I mean, really, when you think about that, it hits at the heart of who we are as human beings. I don't want to be forgiven in the wide mass of people with you know, general absolution. I want to go and talk to a priest, as I got to do last night. Like, go and, and confess my sins, what I'm going through personally. Here's what I did. This is what I'm sorry for. And to hear those words, you know, and I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father. I mean, how awesome is that? And, like, that we're set up for one-on-one -on -one encounter. Because people don't want to be a project. I want to be known and to know and I mean, when you think about it, like, that, that's entering into salvation, to be known by Christ at the very depths of our being. Because even when you're putting stuff out on social media, it's not like, now everybody knows who I am. It's like, baloney. We live in an age where people are more lonely than ever. I mean, it's sad, but suicide rates are going up. And why is that? Because people feel isolated. Well, we've got all this social media. Yeah, they don't feel better about it. Whereas if you're like, you know, walking down the street and meeting people and, you know, going to coffee shops together and talking and, you know, or like, you know, involved in like just different social activities in town, we don't have it as much anymore. And I think the unreality of social media is kind of a scary thing, but gosh, that's so good about encountering someone one-on-one -on -one because all of us want to be encountered one-on-one. -on -one. We don't want to just be a project that's, you know, just, I'm just part of the mob but rather, like, I am an individual, and, you know, and I've had an encounter with Christ, and I want you to have that encounter, too, and it's, it's glorious. So, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Good stuff. I like talking about this evangelism. Perfect. But actually, so we're getting into the, the kind of the, this fourth point of the church being apostolic, yeah. and I think this actually carries on very nicely. What well, I was realizing when I was reading the Catechism with one Holy Catholic and Apostolic, in some ways they are all very similar, Mm -hmm. but in a, a unique way, yeah. right? They all have kind of like this underlying connection of what is the Catholic Church, but they all still stand enough on their own where it doesn't kind of get redundant. Yeah. You need all four of those marks. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing, and yeah, that's what we have. Yeah, and so apostolic, right? The Church is apostolic, and the Catechism starts by saying it's apostolic in three ways. The first way is the church was built on the foundation of the apostles. Mm -hmm. Christ started the church with these 12 men um, whom he called and were apostles, right? Yep. Um, then the church is handed on, essentially, by the apostles through the deposit of faith, or they mm -hmm. say the good deposit. So heard from Jesus Christ, they went out and passed it along, right? So ultimately, all the teachings that we have came from the mouths of the apostles to begin with. But then it didn't stop there. Then the apostles chose successors, mm -hmm. the bishops. So then through the laying on of hands and the sacrament of holy orders, we have successors to the apostles. So today our own bishop is a direct 
successor over 2,000 years of the first 12. Mm -hmm. And so that apostolic mission has been carried on unbroken. One of the cool things, too, about our own successor of the apostles, he was ordained by St. John Paul II. Pretty awesome. Can't get better than that. No, you really can't. That's so good. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say, too, just, you know, on that first point, the reference at 362 um, from Revelation 21:14 about the church being built on the foundation of the apostles, that was our first reading last night at Mass for the Feast of St. Bartholomew, one of the 12. Hmm. And so, you know, it's like talking about the, uh, you know, the, the, the stones, you know, which were the names of the apostles. And, and it's like, yeah, they are the foundational stones. And our Lord knows how to make this work, to have it continue to go on. And yet, he still chooses fallen human instruments to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And so these, right, apostles are witnesses ultimately to the mission, right? Because mm -hmm. that was their mission given to Christ. They, they were the ones standing there at right, yeah. the, the ascension, when the Great Commission was given, it was given to them. Yeah. So they, our, our bishops, mm -hmm. have the greatest responsibility to carry that out um, as the successors to the apostles. Now, we have a mission to carry that out as well um, through our own apostolate. And this was actually really interesting because I've been using this term a little bit more, but I haven't really considered what apostolate came from. Mm -hmm. And I saw a really interesting article on the Catholic thing where they were talking about synod on synodality as is the big topic in the church right now. But this author, and I'm forgetting who it's a little who from Russell, Russell, Russell Shaw. I think day. so. I didn't maybe. get to read that one yet, but I saw it. I but he was talking about how with the, the Vatican Council, it was very much saying exactly what the catechism is saying here, that we as the lay faithful or all the faithful need to have an apostolate, right? Be like apostles going out and proclaiming the gospel, very much when we were talking about here with mission. That we, through our baptism and Holy and through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, can go out and in our own vocation and way of life can take on an apostolate of sharing the gospel. However, as Vatican II has kind of moved in the past a little bit, we have stopped using the language of apostolate and use the language of ministry, yeah. which we do all the time. Mm -hmm. But I think ministry is more reserved to an actual like office mm -hmm. within the church. So the the Eucharistic minister or the, you know, even like the lectors and things like that. So it's kind of transitioned where we as the lay faithful should really be having these apostolates, our own things. It was an interesting article. Catholic, uh, yeah, I need to go check it out. The Catholic thing, it was earlier Rus this week. What did you say, Russell Shaw? Russell Shaw. It was on the left. It was yeah. still new enough because they basically have like their last seven or so, yeah. and it cycles through. So usually I just hit up the last seven, maybe every couple days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a really good. Article. I'll check that one out. I haven't read it yet. But yeah, that sounds great. And yeah, just being, what does it say? His emissaries, Greek apostoloi, like you know, going out there. You know, to be the ones who go out by our very lives, proclaim the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Perfect. I think that finishes up the four marks of the church, right? Did you have so. anything else there at the end of that section that you wanted to bring up? I don't think so. I mean, it's the one thing I would say. So this this Sunday coming up, um, you know, just in prepping for, I promise I would point to this, <laughs> in prepping. For, I am waiting patiently. <laughs> in prepping for the upcoming uh, homily. The readings really point towards humility, you know, a lot about humility. Um, 
and I was reading some uh, St. Jose Maria Escriva mm-hmm. on humility, and he said, don't try to imitate the weather vane on top of the building. Sure, it's flashy and shiny and everybody sees it, but if it were to fall apart, it doesn't affect the building at all. He said, try to affect you know, the foundational stone below the building that no one sees, but if it's cracked and not there, the whole thing falls apart. It's like, basically, you know, you think about this, like the, that foundation of the faith, the apostles, as they go out and proclaim it, they're not supposed to be flashy, drawing all kinds of attention to themselves. It's not about, you know, coming up with some new innovation. It's being a solid foundation of handing on the treasure that they have received. Humbly receiving and handing on. And obviously, as we talked about before, it's like, yes, meeting people where they are, but loving them enough not to leave them there, to offer them the great treasure that our Lord has given us. we got to have patience, you know. Um, And I think sometimes as we try to get too flashy, more like a weather vane, you know, things have a way of falling apart. But when we humbly receive and humbly hand on, like the foundation stones that they're meant to be. I mean, it's what paragraph 865, we're talking about the holy city, Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. For the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The foundation that our successors of the apostles, like they're not supposed to like make up new things. It's not like, oh, what does the spirit of the age say? These It doesn't really matter. I mean, there's really nothing new under the sun. I mean, we have to figure out new ways to make sure that we're handing it on to each individual. But it's not as though we're going to hit a point where it's like, oh, well, now this perennial teaching of the church on faith and morals, we don't really believe that anymore. That, there's, that doesn't happen. Like that's, and that's not going to happen. Um, we've been promised by Christ that the gates of the netherworld won't prevail against the church. And as I know we've brought up before, because I love this is a Phil Waller point on catholicculture.org. Remember, gates are a defensive posture. Apostles are going out. I mean, we're supposed to be on the offensive, not the defensive. And so even if it's a one-on-one, we're not going to see the fruits of our labor immediately. We've got to have a lot of patience. Be calm. It's okay. Yeah, the zeitgeist, the, the moving spirit of the age, yeah, it's really loud. Got the media and all sorts of elites in their back pocket. Fine, whatever. We never needed them anyway. Um, what we need is the truth of the gospel, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and to be those foundation stones that are, you know, unmovable and ready to just go out there and hand it on. And, as it says at the end of paragraph 864, charity, drawn charity. from the Eucharist, yeah. is the soul of the apostolate, is the soul of the mission, is yeah. the soul of what we are doing going out. Charity Drawn from the Eucharist. I just love that. And it almost was just kind of like, oh, yeah, let's throw that in there at the end of the paragraph. Yep. But, like, honestly, that should be, like, in every single section. Charity drawn from the Eucharist. Just across the board, throughout the whole catechism, that was, like, the home run right Absolutely. There. And I remember last time, charity was, like, every other word in those paragraphs. It, there, I mean, we had at least 15 times. We did. It was good. And that's the thing, you know, and, and charity doesn't mean, oh, be nice. Like, no, I mean... Sometimes charity means discipline. I mean, that's what we got in the readings last week. You know, what father who loves his children doesn't discipline them? I mean, discipline is something that we all need. I mean, my parents didn't, it wouldn't have done me good by saying like, 
it's okay. You don't have to go to school. I know you don't want to. Like, no, like you got to, you got to discipline your kids. You got, and like we discipline by like, okay, I know the faith is not easy. The moral life's not easy, but it's good and it's good for you. And it's the way that you're going to find happiness, true and lasting. So it's the way that you're going to come out of hell, you know, and just charity, sometimes love, you know, charity, love, it, it can be an awful thing. It can be very difficult, but it's, it's, it's so good. And that's what our Lord wants for us. And was it last week or the week before that Christ talked about setting the world ablaze and fathers will be against their sons and sons against their two fathers? Weeks, was that two, two weeks, weeks ago? So, I mean, yeah. even the gospel two weeks ago, yeah. it's like, yeah, sometimes there's even going to be, the sword will be in the middle of it, the fire will be in the middle of it, even families will yeah. be separated, but you can still do that with great love and charity, yeah. even in the midst of those kinds of struggles. Yeah. And, I mean, Christ wouldn't have told us this might be necessary if it wasn't necessary. He basically says it is necessary. Yeah. I mean, and we all experience these things to one degree or another. And the thing is, too, once again, having patience. I mean, these things do pass. Um, there are ups and downs. And we just we have to be faithful at the end of the day. Like Mother Teresa said, you know, God doesn't ask us to be successful. He asks us to be faithful. And so just keep showing up and realizing like he'll give us what we need to live out the soul of the apostolate, to live out that charity. And Mother Teresa also said, how to save the world, go and love your family. Go and love your family. So isn't this just like a total oxymoron here, right? <laughs> uh, how I wish the world was set ablaze, fathers against sons, sons against fathers. But to save the world, you go love your family. Exactly. Like, yeah, it's actually can, both can be done at it the same time. It all goes together. Yeah, what he said this last week, will many be saved? Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Like, that's the thing. It's like, it's, it's not like, okay, guys, here's the definitive answer. Like, you can't, you know, it's like, okay, for example, like when you're playing cornhole, right? And you hit this point where you can no longer just throw the bag. It's like, okay, the game's won, so I just toss it to the side. I just toss it. Like, there's not a point in our following Christ's disciples that I don't toss the bag ahead. I just kind of toss it to the side. I'm just done. You can't do that. Like, we don't know what the ending is. What we have to do is strive and give our all every single day. And it's in the striving that we keep growing in that charity. Man, Perfect. Such good stuff. All right, we got to move on to the next part, we or do. we're going to run out of time. What I'd like to do is I'd like to read paragraph 871, because I think that kind of sums up where we're headed in kind of this next, next section. The Christian faithful are those who, inasmuch as they have been incorporated in Christ through baptism, have been constituted as the people of God. For this reason, since they have become sharers in Christ's priestly, prophetic, and royal office in their own manner, they are called to exercise the mission which God has entrusted to the church to fulfill in the world in accord with the condition proper to each one. So this kind of sums up a lot of what we've already talked about. Obviously, we got mission. We've already talked about, you know, Christ's priestly, prophetic, and royal office and how that applies to us. Mm -hmm. If you missed any of that, go back and watch some of our last videos. We've talked about it quite a bit. But basically, this last part is where we're kind of headed. In accord with the condition proper to each one. Mm -hmm. So there's an assumption here that we are different, yeah. that we have a difference in what is proper to our vocation. And as you can see by the two people sitting here, I am not wearing a collar and a black shirt. And, and I am. Father is. And I am and not wearing a wedding ring. And there's you are. a difference to our vocations. Mm -hmm. But yet the way, and so the way we live out the priestly, prophetic, and royal office, obviously him being a priest, is quite different than what I'm living out. 
but we're still called to the same mission and the same goal, just living it out in a different way. And you know, 872 then talks about the equality of dignity. In virtue of their rebirth in Christ, there exists among all the Christian faithful a true equality with regard to dignity and the activity whereby all cooperate in the building up of the body of Christ in accord with each one's own condition and function. So once again, and this is, this is quoting both canon law and Lumen Gentium, which is the big uh, the dogmatic constitution on the church um, from the Second Vatican Council. And basically, it's the universal call to holiness right here. Everybody's called to build up the faith. Like, no one just gets a pass. Like, you don't get to just kind of, like, hang out and be along for the ride. Everybody's got their part to play. And I gotta say, I'm just gonna bring up one example because I love him so much. Marshall Anasek. One of our new servers um, received First Communion this year. That little guy in serving Mass brings so much joy and devotion and attention from so many people. And, you know, it's just incredible. And I love having him back in the sacristy. He is definitely a true child of Israel. There is no duplicity in him, not unlike St. Bartholomew. Like last, or last month when I got a haircut, he said, you got a haircut? I said, yeah, I want to look like Deacon Jim. He goes, Deacon Jim doesn't have any hair. Thank you, Marshall. Like Marshall, <laughs> Marshall is direct. He's going to tell you what he thinks. But man, that kid is all in. And I'm telling you, I think he is doing a good job of evangelizing throughout by being there. And it's like, you know, somebody could be like, oh, like what part does Marshall have to play? He's a devout little guy, and I'm proud of him, and, and it's so good to be up there with him. Like, okay, if Marshall has a role, guess what? So do you, whoever's watching this right now. And even if you're not from Sacred Heart, from your parish and whatever, you know, it's like we all have a part to play. And the beautiful thing is, like, our Lord wants us all involved in it. Like, yeah, I get to be a priest, but you get to be whatever vocation he's calling you to be. And it's, it's a beautiful gift, and we got to take him up on it and live it out. And so, like, the dignity's the same, um, but at the same time, the roles may be different, but we're all called to evangelize by our very lives. Fantastic. Good stuff. And so then we dive into the ecclesial ministry, so specifically talking about those who are in who have received basically the sacrament of holy orders. Holy orders. Um, and so we have three, right? Mm-hmm. Three, par- uh, not parts, three forms, three levels. levels. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What is the actual theological? I forget exactly what we call it, but yeah, the episcopate, the bishops, the presbyterate, the priests, and the diaconate, the deacons. And actually, even within those ecclesial ministries, the role is different, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which would make sense. Absolutely. Um, it's a hierarchical structure. And so this is a sacred power, as it says in 875, received by Christ in order for priests and bishops to act in persona Christi Capitas, right, Mm -hmm. as Christ the head, um, being able to perform the sacraments for the the good of the people of God. Uh, The deacons being able to, what does it say here? Deacon received the strength to serve the people of God and the diacon. Diaconia of liturgy, word, and charity, and communion with the bishops and the presbyterate. So they are there, you know, serving, serving the people, helping the, the bishops and priests serve their role. But with all of this, they're living out, right, the sacraments. And I thought this was a really interesting kind of definition of the sacraments, also in 875. The ministry in which Christ's emissaries do and give by God's grace what they cannot do and give by their own powers is called a sacrament by the church's tradition. So what they're able to give mm-hmm. that is different than what they would have been able to give if they were not ordained, essentially. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, that, that by Christ's power. 
and I think too, I mean, we can go into it or not, but it's just, just I've been so so interested in this lately, like just diving deeper into celibacy mm-hmm. and like why the church has always held on to this. Because obviously it's not a popular teaching. It's it's one of those that frankly is difficult to live. It's like why does the church demand this, you know, typically, I mean obviously there are exceptions, but why does the church demand this of her priests? And I think the very fact of, you know, giving what, what you can't give himself, you know, coming from Christ's power, like we have to be one with Christ more and more. And basically, like, the radical freedom that I've been allowed by my, um, you know, by my vocation, um, it's not just so that I can be more available to people. Like, it just, oh, it goes in line. Like, he can answer emergency calls. I, got, I had a wonderful meeting today <coughs> with um, our superintendent of schools, Dr. Greg Monroe. Awesome guy. That guy has a packed schedule. He's all over the diocese. He's working hard. He has a family and kids, and that's hard. I mean, it's got to be a tough thing. You know, it's like, well, should we ask our superintendents to be celibate? It's like, no, it's not just about a practicality. It's I'm radically free so that my life can be configured to Christ. And I need, and basically it all boils down to, why do I need to be free in that way? So that I can pray. And I have to pray, and I have to be deep in prayer every day. Because if I'm going to get up there and say, this is my body, which is given up for you, like... For me to say in the first person singular, to stand in in the praise, you know, in, in persona Christi Capitis, in the person of Christ the head, I have to be intimately linked and involved with Christ every day. And if I'm not living that out, my life makes no sense. You know, it's like at, at the end of the day, it's like it's, it's about that, to do what I cannot do on my own. And of course, you know, if you've met one diocesan priest, you've met one diocesan priest. Our Lord calls a wide variety of people. As I said before, Michael and I, good friends but different. Father Lucas Rossi and I, good friends but different. Like, he calls a wide variety and wide, wide cultures, but, you know, the, the unifying factor is that being utterly united with Christ at our very core. So. Sorry, and I couldn't help but think, Father Volke, great friend but different. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's true. And that, Father Waswa, you know, I mean, it's like we're all... We all have our own personalities and characteristics, and our Lord uses that. But we're celibate in that we need to be united with Him. Yeah, and I mean, you guys are united in Him because you are doing His very direct work. Yeah. I mean, in, in a personal way, in a, mm-hmm. a unitive way within the entire church. Um, yeah, I mean, I... I can't imagine doing that type of work because, not because I'm married with a family, no. but because my vocation is entirely different. Yeah. And I think there's, I mean, even with, sometimes with, you know, married deacons, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think you have to be 35 to be ordained a deacon. I think so. I don't know what the exact rules are, but I know. And I feel like people older. mention, you know, me being a permanent deacon at least a dozen times a year, right? Sure. Some random person, I'm in some meeting and they're like, have you ever thought about being a permanent deacon? I'm like, yeah, only every single time somebody mentions it to me. But even like, I guess, I mean, I'm young, so it's a yeah. very different stage of life. But even when I've kind of meditated upon this and went, but I'm married. Sure. Isn't that my vocation? Like, how do you reconcile? And there's probably some good theologians out there that could give me a good answer to this. But like, that is still a, a sacred ministry of, you know, holy orders but you also have marriage, how, how does, you know, how do you reconcile that vocationally speaking? Sure, 
Sure. And I don't know. And this is more of a rhetorical question than anything. But I think it, you know, in a small way with my own life, it's it's an interesting thing to meditate upon that kind of goes along with Absolutely. the celibacy of the priesthood. Absolutely. And, and, and it's not a knock on, you know, someone who... who you know, like there are exceptions where there are men who have holy orders and are also oh married. of course we, our, our great our great deacon Jim yeah. I mean he's our great, absolutely our fantastic. great deacon Jim we have a, a gentleman formation right now with him John Bachman he's yeah. he's married he's in formation we have Byzantine friends like Father Matlack and he's married and his wife is wonderful it's like so it's not like oh you can't do this but it's one of those things where I've just I've been studying it more and more and and Father Wood too who's here you know and he's former mm-hmm. Lutheran minister now he's a Catholic priest he's married. You know, wonderful man. Like so, it's it's not a knock on anybody, but it's like the the fact of the matter is, is like celibacy is a gift, and I think it's like to to be united to Christ in a particular way, and you know, because yeah, it's just I've been trying to study it more and more here lately because I think it's kind it kind of comes under attack from time to time, which makes sense, and and it probably always will, uh, because it's not the typical natural way of going about things. But I don't just think because like some guys have not lived it well that it means up oh, doesn't work. Just like it's like well some people haven't lived marriage well. Well, just doesn't work. No more marriage. Like no. I mean, our Lord calls us to a particular ideal, and there's a reason why. And when I say ideal, that sounds like oh that's probably not livable. Well, no, that's not true. Like He calls us to vocations, and are they difficult to live out? Is marriage difficult to live out? Yeah, it is. But you know what he provides? His supernatural grace to make it happen. It's the same thing with the the gift of celibacy and the gift of holy orders. Like he makes it possible. And um, like I get to be radically free to be his and then radically free to be the parishes too. Mm-hmm. And it's it's and that that's it's like you have to start out with the his part first. It's just like um, you know, by the Sea of Galilee with Saint Peter after the resurrection. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. I think when you're defining celibacy, it has to be together and in that order. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then feed my sheep. Because you have to have them both. Mm-hmm. And you know, to be able to have that open and honest conversation with our Lord from the very depths of our being, it's like you got to be there and you got to be all in. And yeah, anyway. Great things to meditate and reflect upon. Absolutely. And then once again, it's like, okay, but that doesn't mean that I possess some sort of dignity that you don't, equal in dignity with different vocations. And it's the beauty of the faith is it's like we're able to hold all these things together. Like the body of Christ is made up of different members, you know, and just like St. Paul talks about using the body as an analogy, you know, the eye can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The foot can't say to the eye, I don't need you. We all need each other. I mean, I'm excited we have a young adult ministry thing tomorrow at the at, at Michael's house. And I'm excited about it. It's going to be great. I get to be with all these wonderful couples and their little kids. And it's going to be awesome. It's not my vocation, but I glory in the fact that it's yours. And we all need each other in this. And it's it's awesome. And, and everyone's going to be so excited that you're there. Yeah. You're not bringing a wife or kids, but everyone's going to glory in the fact that you are present and you are bringing your relationship with Christ and your vocation to be there as well. Exactly. And that's we we all get to be in this together. And you know, that's a beautiful thing. And once again, okay, salvation. It's an invitation to come out of hell, to come out of isolation, to be in the beautiful, glorious diversity that is the church. All of us equal in dignity, but getting to participate in the unity of charity that's on offer to us 
glorying in each other's vocations, realizing that we're not in competition, but the more we grow in charity together, I mean, why would you want to be anywhere else? It's just, it's so glorious. So, anyway. Perfect. Good stuff. We're continuing to move on because we're running short on time, but I we're know, doing all right. I, I keep running into some tangents. It's here. okay. It's been fun, though. We get to talk about the head of the, the church and especially those who are in holy orders, the Pope. By the way, real quick. Oh, sorry. I'm not, we're not there yet. It's we're okay. It's okay. Up a I just, I'm just going to say, read paragraph 871 on your own. Talk about that personal character and like the us following Christ and the priest getting to say. 878. The person, 878. Yeah. The priest saying in the person of Christ, I baptize you. I absolve you. This is my body. Just, yeah. Once, it just kind of backs everything up. I was just talking about. So 878. Recommend reading it on your own. Fantastic. Let's move on to the Pope. So Pope, all right. Head of the bishops. Specifically, he is the follower of Peter, who was... Uh, given to the church as the leader of the apostles, right? The leader of the mm -hmm. flock. Um, and the really cool thing about the Pope is that he is a visible sign of the unity within the church. Um, he is our, you know, spiritual leader for all of the faithful, right? Um, so he obviously plays a very large role, but he also is the head of the College of Bishops. Now, each bishop has their own authority over the church, but just like in any human creation. This is a divine creation, but within any group of human beings, right? Yeah. There does need to be leadership and guidance. Yeah. Um, and Christ in his wisdom recognized that. So he placed one bishop above the rest, Peter above the apostles, to essentially have kind of the final say yeah. Yeah. when the going gets tough. And our Pope today, Pope Francis, still is fulfilling that role. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I'll tell you too, I just another good recommendation, another Matt Frad Pints with Aquinas conversation. Mm -hmm. He was, uh, his conversation with Dr. John Bergsma, I want to say it was like a year and a half ago, um, but he talked to Dr. Bergsma as a convert from Dutch Calvinism, and Matt Frad was talking about, you know, just like, what do you do when there's, you know, bishops that are scandalous or the Pope's doing things you just don't like? And Dr. Bergsma was like, it's still amazing to have the unity that we have in the church. He's like, you have no idea. It's just so, so great. And, I mean, and, Basically, it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. I know it's like we've got, you know, fallen members or difficulties. But at the end of the day, this is instituted by Christ. It's all over the Gospels. So many times that Peter is clearly the one that is the head of the college of the Twelve that are around our Lord, that our Lord, you know, specifically in Matthew 16, calling him out, naming him. But it's all over the place in the Gospels um, that clearly Peter is the one that our Lord, you know, hands things on to. Um, and we need that. Like, we, we need that, that source and point of unity. And the Pope doesn't get to come in and just, like, invent a new church. His, his task is to hand on what we have been given to, you know, strengthen the brethren to hold us together. Yeah. And I think it's also important to remember that the Pope is a human being. Mm -hmm. The Pope is not God. The Pope mm -hmm. is not Jesus Christ. He's not, you know, Christ, the Antichrist or any, any sort of title. He is a man who has been ordained and given the, has been ordained a bishop and has been given the gift by God to be their leader of the church. And ultimately, I have faith in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Do I always have faith in the priests or deacons or bishops? Unfortunately not, yeah. right? Um, but I have faith in Jesus Christ that the church is continuing to attack those gates of hell. Yeah. And whether it's apparent all the time, no, not always. What was it earlier on we said that you have to have in the work of evangelization? 
patience. patience. You know, and yeah, I mean, we sometimes you have to have patience in other people's work of <laughs> yeah, evangelization. It's, it's very true. And, but our Lord provides, and just remember, Jesus Christ knows how to get himself to his people. I mean, that's, that's one of those things I've kind of like held on to all these days. It's like, hey, he knows how to make this happen. Like, keep being faithful. Don't worry about being successful. Just keep, keep showing up. Keep loving our Lord. And can you imagine in a hundred years, the saints that the church will be proclaiming from our time right yeah. now? Yeah. I mean, every time there's a point in the church that there's struggle and trial or famine or plagues or pandemics or whatever, saints rise up yeah. out of that. Yeah. And not that, I mean, we'll be hopefully in heaven to see what's going on with that. But I pray that during this time of trial, we get some amazing saints that build up the church for generations to come. Absolutely. I mean, even within our own lifetimes, I mean, we've already seen, you know, St. John Paul the Great. True. I mean, he's awesome. Mother Teresa. Um, you know, we've already seen some amazing people. And yeah, it's like right now, yeah, and it's the thing, yeah, they may not get all kinds of fame during their lifetime, but hey, who knows? Who knows what's going on right at this very moment? Or uh, my, one of my new favorites, uh, Venerable uh, Nelson Baker, a, a Monsignor from uh, the Buffalo area. Nice. He has a pretty oh, cool one. I, I think was you telling you about, about that. that. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, my other one, who I have a tiny saint of, Blessed Stanley Rother. Nice, nice. These are, I don't know, I like the like, up-and-coming, like super, yeah. super modern trendy guys mine's a little yeah my most recent one that i've been a huge fan of is that father uh, titus bransma the carmelite who was killed in uh, auschwitz or one mm. of one of the mm -hmm. concentration camps that's not as as up to date that was in the 40s but still i mean it's is yeah. he blessed no he's saying saint. oh he's, he's saying saint. yeah nice very similar to maximilian colby he mm -hmm. was the one that the nurse who gave him the lethal injection said that like you know he looked at her with pity and mercy as she was executing him. Mm -hmm. And she goes, I will never forget the look of that priest. You know, it's like, and I think that brought about her conversion. But mm -hmm. there was just, he was another like strong advocate against the Nazis and laid down his life. And I love those stories. Oh, yeah. It's great. Cool. All right. Moving along. So then <laughs> it, the catechism kind of in 888 and a little bit forward talking, talks about the teaching office, right? Mm -hmm. So bishops, Priests as the co-workers, their main job is to preach the gospel to all men, just as we were talking about with mission. Doesn't this sound kind of familiar to what we just talked about with the, the marks of the church, right? Yes. That they are supposed to be the guiders of the flock, the teachers of the people, and they're supposed to lead people into greater communion with Christ, understanding the church. And the whole magisterium, so all of those who are in this hierarchy, have this job of preserving the teachings of Christ, the teachings of the church, preserving people from falling astray or deviating too far away. And sometimes I feel like we need a little bit more of that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And just remember, it's like, okay, we got to pray for those entrusted with that office, that they have the courage, you know, and the charity to do it well. Have a good lion's heart. Yeah. Like a Coeur d'Alene. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you catch it. And of course you did, as did. you always do. I did. Um, and then we get into a little bit about infallibility, mm -hmm. which is, I think, fantastic. And actually, I've been reading a little bit more about this in some of my kind of odd rabbit trails research um, and kind of the importance of this in the moment of history mm -hmm. when infallibility was kind of invoked, invoked and really truly proclaimed. Because mm -hmm. I think the first Vatican Council had a lot to do right, with, yeah, like with, the, with the clarifying defining. and defining uh, papal infallibility. Um, it's 
Papal infallibility specifically has only been invoked twice, twice yeah, with the Immaculate yeah. Conception and the Assumption of Mary. Mm -hmm. However, when the Pope, in union with all the bishops of Rome, mm -hmm. proclaims something. Not of Rome, in union with all the union, bishops. All the bishops, excuse me, because there's okay. only one bishop of Rome. That is the Pope. It's okay. Um, in all, union with all the bishops of the church, they also teach infallibly on the matters of faith and morals. And that is a little bit more common because we see that every time that there's an ecumenical council mm -hmm. and a couple other times. And actually, to, kind of side note, Jimmy Aiken wrote a book not too long ago about like the weight of certain church documents and oh, like nice. what's infallible and what's not. And I need to get my hands on this book. Yeah, I bet that's every time good. I hear Jimmy Aiken talk about this book, like I need to get that book because I, this has always been a question yeah. of mine. You know, we hear about apostolic exhortations, we hear about encyclicals, you hear about ecumenical councils, we hear about papal infallibility, we hear about dogmatic constitutions. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different documental language, really, yeah. within the church. And it's hard to know how much credence do I give to this document or that document. Not saying that anything is wrong. I haven't read anything out there. I'm like, oh, clear heresy. Yeah. Right? But we can throw that one out because it wasn't infallible. But it's good to know in the back of your mind, where do I put things kind of on the weight scale? Mm -hmm. And some things obviously are declared in a more formal, um, in a way that, 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 let's just say, carries with it a lot more weight. Now, obviously, like you want to give the benefit of the doubt and like, or benefit of the doubt, like the, in a sense of faith, like to what's said. Mm -hmm. But yeah, sometimes like something is declared in a, in a stronger way. Um, yeah. And I'm always curious about the uh, proclamation and canonization of saints. Mm -hmm. Like, could we ever go back and say, whoops, we messed up on that one? I, I don't I know. Don't know. I it's don't a either. curious thought experiment. Not that I'm saying that there's any saint out there. No, that, no, no, I know. Uh, here's, here's option number one if we're going to knock one down the totem pole again. Um, but I'm always curious. Like, yeah. is this proclaimed infallibly or is there room for error in this process? It's a good question. I'm just curious. And I don't know if Jimmy A. can even talk about that in his book, but... I don't know. I kind of hope so. That's a good question. Um, so we have uh, papal infallibility. Um, and then we talk about sanctifying office and governing office, which I feel like we've yeah, kind of hit on these themes a, a little bit already. I do really like the last quote in 896, which I think you might have wanted to go a little bit farther than that. But I'd like to read this quote from St. Ignatius of Antioch because no, no, I think it wraps it. it up really well. No, I think you're right. We can just start with the lady next time because I think we're already over. Yeah, we're already over. Um, so this... Uh, Quote here is in paragraph 896. It's from St. Ignatius of Antioch. Let all follow the bishop as Jesus Christ follows his father and the college of presbyters as the apostles. Respect the deacons as you do God's law. Let no one do anything concerning the church in separation from the bishop. Yeah. We have to remember that no matter how we feel about bishops, whether we like the guy or not, no matter how we feel about our pastors, no matter how much we feel about our deacons of the church, right? They are ordained ministers of Christ, right? And as long as they're teaching us something that is just and good, what are we supposed to say? They're yeah. our shepherds. Yeah, and pray for them too. Pray for all in, in you know, a teaching, governing, sanctifying office because we got in the gospel again today, you know, where our Lord talks about, you know, who's the wise and prudent servant who, you know, gives his, gives, uh, servants the food at the proper time when his master comes back you know reward him with you know put he'll put him in charge of all his property but woe to that servant who says my last my master's delayed in coming and begins to beat the men servants and maid servants and, and eat and drink with drunkards 
you know, woe to that servant, he'll be thrown out with the unfaithful, there would be wailing and gnashing of teeth. I mean, to whom much is entrusted, much is expected. So pray for the bishops, because the thing is, you know, our Lord is going to call us to account one day, you know, and, and yeah, there, there's a lot of things out there that are awfully troubling. At the end of the day, I'm not troubled about the handing on the faith. Our Lord knows how to make it happen. What we have to do is to stay faithful, keep reading the wonderful catechism, stay close to the sacraments, and live that charity that comes from the Eucharist that we talked about earlier. And then after that, what do you have to be afraid of? You know? Yeah, exactly. So, good stuff. Awesome. That well, was good. And I'm looking forward to the discussion on the laity, too, because it's it's great stuff. And I, the more we're in collaboration, the better off we all are. It's just great. I mean, I'm kind of partial to the laity, yeah, but that's just my own opinion. I happen to like them, too. Yeah. It's, it's great. So. There's a lot more of them out there. We all we all go together in this, you know? Like, heaven is going to be amazing. Being mm -hmm. close to our Lord forever. Yes, indeed. Good stuff. Should we close with prayer? Let's do it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. With grateful hearts for your countless gifts, O Lord, we pray. Glory be to the Father, and to, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, Spirit as, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your Spirit. Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God.